0: Startup Exits are the most sought-after events in Silicon Valley, but very few people get to experience them. Welcome to the Startup Exits podcast, where we chat with founders that started, ran, and sold a tech company to learn about how it all went down. This podcast is brought to you by Startup Soft.
1: Hey, everybody, this is your host, Andrew Vasilik, and you're listening to Startup Exits, where we chat with founders that started, ran, and sold a tech company to learn about how it all went down. And today I'm joined by Patrick O'Donnell, who is a founder of Urban Spoon. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning. If, uh, so I think anybody that's had the first probably like five versions of an iPhone uh, would probably know Urban Spoon. Uh, it was one of the most notable apps. Uh, At that time, they really took advantage of what an an iPhone had to offer and what what sort of new things that were not possible before. Um, What I'm curious about is the very early days of the company. How did you guys get started? Who came up with the idea? How did the original team form? Tell me about the early days of the company.
0: Um, Well, the three of us there at the early days were uh, myself, Adam Doppelt, and Ethan Lowry. And uh, we'd we'd done a couple startups uh, prior. Uh, together, so we uh, we we knew and trusted and uh, respected each other. So there was a good basis to want to work together in the, the chaotic environment of a startup. Um, and the immediate prior one for the three of us had worked together at was something called Jobster, which was a uh, sort of a fast growth, high raise kind of VC backed company. So that had quickly grown from a small handful of people to I think on the order of a couple hundred. Anyway, so Urban Spoon was partly a reaction to that. I think we thought. A lot of things are changing in the tech industry right now that are making it possible for a much smaller team to grow to a successful company. So our idea was, let's see if we can grow without VC, without for growth of hiring. And uh, the kinds of things we want to leverage with that were um, cloud computers coming on the network. So we were leasing remote computers as opposed to putting our own servers in racks, which was kind of mid-2000s. That was when that was first coming on uh, as, a, as a real option. So we didn't need to hire an ops team and uh, deal with that, spend a lot of time on that. There were ad networks that were making it possible to sort of monetize traffic uh, if you were able to develop it without hiring a sales force and having to do a lot of direct uh, direct sales. Um, and then uh, SEO. Uh, it had been around a little while, but I think that it was in a big growth period there where, if you put up some content and you tried to make it decent and you linked it properly and you came up with a way to sort of convince Google that you were interesting. Uh, All of a sudden, you had a steady flow of traffic again, without having to uh, to hire a big team to sort of support that. So, if we could, uh, one one other thing was Ruby on Rails was coming online around the time, which was which again was just incrementally better than the previous tools we thought, and it uh, it made it very quick to for a small team to put together a website, SEO to drive traffic, and then uh, use uh, ad networks to uh, to monetize the traffic that came in with just three product people as a team. So th- that was the, the the premise. And then we sort of tried to come up with the idea within that premise of what we wanted to build. And we actually had a group of ideas. Uh, and the first one we wanted to try was restaurants. We thought we had a bunch of sort of use cases that we thought weren't addressed very well by the current market, which at that point was mostly city search. Yelp was just starting to come on the scene and then local newspapers. That was really the, the landscape. And we thought there was an opportunity to uh, to bring together all the voices that uh are talking about restaurants in one place all the you know get all the critics who were talking about it the food bloggers were sort of a big thing uh, 15 10 15 years ago uh and uh I basically bring it all together on one page and uh all of a sudden we had interesting content even before users started showing up and then as users showed up and added comments and photos the the content got even better
1: anyways so what year was, the, was this like what, what was the year that urban spoon was founded
0: uh, Two thousand six, and then. Uh, yeah, and we started. Yeah, and we started one geography at a time. So we started uh, first in Seattle, and uh, so we, we got in a loop of adding a feature, adding a little geography, investing in some uh, some crawler SEO content, just, you know, blogging and things like that. So uh, I think within a year we were up to maybe thirty metros, uh, the top metros in the U.S. that we were covering, and uh, and it was about a year and half. I-
1: was it just just the three of you at that time? When, when yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, I think it maybe about a year in we started uh using contract uh contractors for customer service, but it was uh it was just the three of us as uh as full participants. We were running as a we were bootstrapped, we were running as an LLC, just uh, the we sort of had this dream small <laughs> theory that uh we could uh maybe eventually just have the thing throw off money and we could uh go on and build the next two or three sites. Obviously, eventually it started catching on, and we thought, actually, this, this is a big enough project. We don't need a portfolio of these. This one is uh, this one's doing pretty well.
1: Right, and uh, you mentioned in one interview that you, when you guys got started, you decided to work on this idea uh, for a year. You know, see how it's going to go before paying yourself anything. And at that time, uh, so there was three founders that you mentioned. You had families, so some of you had kids already, some had babies on the way, and uh, you know you. It wasn't. It wasn't very easy. What What sort of advice would you give to people that are not, um, like fresh out of college graduates or college dropouts, uh, but people that have families, people that have obligations, a certain lifestyle, certain responsibilities, and in parallel they're running a startup, uh, which oftentimes demands uh, a lot of their attention. What sort of advice would you give to people in, in that kind of situation? Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. It's. Uh. I mean, there are multiple aspects of it, but like, there's a financial. I mean, we had the luxury that we'd had, sort of some minor successes you know not a giant exit but we'd had enough that it we we could afford to go you know a year or so without a without an income it still hurts to see your bank balance going down over the course of a year especially it was a uh, um part of the road was in 2008 when we were sort of uh, when the financial uh, crisis was starting to hit and even though the startup was doing okay it's it it hurts to see your bank balance going down <laughs> because both the market's going down and your anyway it's a uh, so there there's definitely stresses around that um and uh then there's just the 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 stress that the, with a startup, the emo- the emotions are the highs are higher and the lows are lower so uh on a good day you feel like you're king of the world and everything's going great uh and on a bad day you uh it it really weighs on you um as far as like Family hours, I, the hours that we were working at Urban Spoon, I don't know that they were that different than when we were working at, you know, big funded startups or even the time I've spent at uh, bigger companies. It's, I, I think basically, I think the the hours you put in are, it, you don't need to work 80 hours a week to make it a successful startup. Yeah. Uh, you do need to care a lot and make sure the hours you work are effective and be available on call if something comes up that you need to deal with in often strange hours. So there are certainly times where I was bouncing a baby and uh you know, the server's down and you got to, it's just one more thing to coordinate. So it's, it's, it's an extra challenge as opposed to a, a job you can leave and not think about after you leave. But I think there are fewer and fewer jobs like that anywhere, especially in the startup world.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point you mentioned about, you know, you, you don't have to be working you know 80 hours per week. Uh, and, and I think some people think that, you know, for you to be a, su- a successful founder, you got to put in like insane hours. Sure, there are times, you know, where, where you got to Really put in these crazy hours, but uh, it's not sustainable. You know, eventually, uh, regardless of how kind of passionate you are about, this, about about this idea or how crazy you are about succeeding, uh, you're gonna burn out, right? So I yeah. think you know it's it's a very good point about finding the right balance and uh, making sure the hours that you do work are, are effective. Um, yeah. You guys started in two thousand six, but in two thousand eight is when the company really took off. So that's when the the App Store came out. Uh, between two thousand six and and two thousand and eight. Um, what was Urban Spoon like? Web based only? Were you guys kind of mostly collecting all the backend data? What, what was the um, what, what were those two two years like?
0: Yeah. Well, we were definitely in the ship often. So we uh, from the first when the when the idea was first hatched till the first deploy was within a month, and you know shipping probably daily after that, or you know at, least, at the very least weekly. Um, so. And we, I think, I mean, part of the reason we decided that the urban spoon business was only as far as we need to go, as far as our portfolio ideas pretty quickly, like within days, we were seeing traffic from Google and we were, as we added more, uh, more cities, we realized that they could come online fairly, you know, within the matter of months. So we, uh, we, if, if you looked at our traffic <coughs> graphs, which unfortunately I don't have anymore, but, uh, It was, we had very steady growth. It was like, you know, the month over month growth was steady for the entire six and a half years I was at Urban Spoon. It was just kept going up into the right, not like a rocket ship, but just steady, you know, trying to remember what the numbers were. It was on the order of 10 to 50% month over month for a long time. So by the time the the Apple App Store was coming online, we were, I think about 99% of our traffic was web-based. We had a mobile site that we actually thought was really useful. Uh, but, uh, prior to the app store, it was very hard to drive traffic to a mobile site. I mean, it was WAP. It was even with people who had mobile web. It was, unless you were, had a deal with a carrier to get baked into phones, it's just people didn't find you. There's not a lot of discovery or search going on in, on cell phones. Right. So anyway, we we had, we had about 1% traffic, uh, mobile. Even, and, uh, so when we saw the, that Apple was launching the app store, we had in our recent memory, the, uh. <coughs> The uh, Facebook apps launch, which was about a year earlier, and in that case, we had a we had a couple of good friends who had launched their startups paired to the uh, the Facebook app store. I think it was I like and Fantasy Moguls, and anyway, they they were there on day one. They were launch partners. They got all the press. They had huge virality because everybody was kicking the tires to figure out what this Facebook thing was. And anyway, at the time, we were in the Urban Spoon days, and we decided. A month after launch, let's get in there. So we launched a Facebook app, but by a month or two later, it was too late. It was Facebook was already restricting the virality because of some bad actors. Anyway, we had that in our memory. We thought if we're going to do this, we got to be there on day one, and we got to get all the press we can out of it, and uh, and maybe we can get people to notice our mobile site and at least get some good links out of it. Um, anyway, so we started the <laughs> as soon as we as soon as Apple announced the uh, the App Store, we started. Trying to jockey for every every connection we had into Apple to try to get the early SDK, which was they weren't just given out to anyone back then. You had to kind of network in to get access to it, uh, and we were able to build an app uh, that was there on launch day. And uh, as we came up with the, as as we then went into brainstorm, what can we do? We thought, well, what can the iPhone do that you couldn't do in our mobile site? Well, it's got a location, it's got an accelerometer, it's got pretty good graphics, and uh, <laughs> being three people always going to lunch together. We always had that standard debate of, where do you want to go for lunch? I I don't know. Where do you want to go? So nobody was being picky. It's just nobody was being decisive. So the idea was we needed a magic 8-ball-like interface into uh, where do we go for lunch? And this let it keep suggesting things until we find one we all like. Um, So anyway, and somehow we got to slot machine. I think Ethan may get credit for that uh, that specific idea. But uh, then uh, the idea being that if we know where you are, we have a great database to figure out what's good near you. When you shake, you, we will suggest uh, something weighted by how close it is to you and how good it is, and uh, then try to always mix it up. Um, so that was the, the premise. And then we, uh, we were able to uh, use the, uh, the spinning slot machine, so we came up with uh, some clever graphics. because Even though it was much better graphics than the previous phones it had, it was still a little bit tricky to simulate super fast motion of spinning wheels, so there were some techni- technology challenges. Uh, Apple later added a shake API to the, uh, to the iPhone. But in the early days, we had to, uh, monitor like real time spews of numbers from the accelerometer and figure out what a shake was, you know, just using a, you know, some ma- mathematical analysis. And I think, uh, Adam Doppelk gets uh, most of the credit for cracking that puzzle. But anyway, we were able to get something together that sort of showed off some of these new features of, uh, of the, uh, Apple SDK and, uh, and it was a nice showcase for us. So it was a, it was great. We were one of 500 apps that launched on opening day and many of them were sort of ridiculous. I don't know if you remember that, like the fart app and the coin flipping app, there were some, there were some very simple. So we were, I think we were in one of the very few ones that was useful on day one. I like think it was useful. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, and, uh, and then uh, fortunately, you know, six months later, five months later, Apple decided to, uh, run one of their famous 30-second ads for us. And they named us, and the whole 30 seconds was about the Urban Spoon experience. And uh, it was uh, that really... At, prior to the App Store launching, we were already about at a, monthly, million, a million monthly uniques on the website. And uh, pretty much that first month of the App Store, and we, I think we almost doubled that month yeah. that the, the App Store came out. And then five months later, when this, they're running ads during NFL games and during primetime TV all week, it... Um that's when we really, uh, the, the gas really went on. And very quickly, mobile became half of our traffic uh, and because you know, this was increasing our awareness. So all of a sudden, our web traffic was going way up too. It wasn't just mobile and not just through the App Store, but all of a sudden, Urban Spoon, the brand became much more familiar and uh, driving the commensurate traffic.
1: So um, the, the numbers that I've seen is that uh, you, you guys launched on uh, launch day of the App Store. I think a couple of months later, it was you were at 1 million downloads. And then after the commercial came out, a, few months, a month later after that, it was at 2 million. So it was, you, the traffic doubled by a million. Uh, Apple is a pretty secretive company, right? So yeah. how, did you, how did you handle this big surge of traffic, especially when I'm assuming you didn't know too much detail about when this thing is going to launch and uh, when, when the commercial is going to air or what, what's going to be in it?
0: Yeah. It's funny because yeah, Apple was Apple very secretive. You had to sign a bunch of stuff. You had to sign away. They said, we want you to sign away rights for us to use you however we want, like your, all your brands and logos or whatever. Um, and so they started sending signals that something was in the works. Uh, they asked for custom builds of our app that would always shake to certain, because when they're running, making the commercial, they wanted it to be consistent. So they, they said, make us an app that has, shoots results in these ways because they didn't want it to be random. Um, and they, uh, and they eventually, I think the final signal we got is they sent us something with a, one final disclaimer that, you know, signed away rights to do whatever they wanted with it. And even then they were saying, we can make no promises about what this means or when we'll do anything. And uh, anyway, so I, I think they might have whispered something might be happening in the next few days. Um, so at the time, as a bootstrap startup, and uh, as we were running on a single server for the entire independent life of the, the Urban Spoon app. So uh, that means while they we were running TV ads on, uh, you know, again, on, during the halftime of NFL games, we were, uh, we were there was a single server taking that, I think it was, I think we peaked at around 10,000 shakes per second. You know, I, I, I may be off by a little bit, but that order of magnitude. Um, and we had a single server trying to <laughs> handle all those requests from multiple geographies, trying to find nearby restaurants. So we had to invest a lot of uh, effort in trying to really tune that one server, uh, and I mean, we'd run apps with multiple servers for us. So it. So it's not that we lack the technical capabilities. It was really just it it made our life simpler, and it was a lot cheaper to run. And we chose to invest time in tuning our server rather than uh, building out a farm. Um. So anyway, that was a. Mm-hmm. That 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 was a, a fun a, a fun few weeks. When I, when I think about when you when you mentioned how does it affect your family, I do remember the couple weeks of that were very exciting, but also very stressful because we're working hard to keep the server up and happy. When because you didn't know when the next ad was going to run, so you had to you, you didn't want to take any outage time either. So it was a it was exciting time. <laughs>
1: you, you mentioned the uh, kind of the, the, the shaking aspect of the app. So for for people that are not familiar, uh, Urban Spoon had a very in, very unique user experience uh, at that time. And unique by today's standards, maybe because then, you know, there weren't a whole lot of kind of standards of what uh, mobile apps should look like and how they, they should function. Uh, but essentially, it looked like slot machines, like, like, you, like you mentioned, a user would you, you would have three dials, you would select, uh, I think the type of food that you like where you're based and uh, the price point, and then you would literally shake the device, and it will give you um, a certain uh, restaurant recommendation. And then of course, there was a lot of things that was happening in the back end. Uh, and how how these restaurants were were recommended uh, so was this kind of sort of quirky ux uh, would would you say this was a value prop for orbit spoon in a way um i
0: think so i mean it certainly was a novelty it sort of we we thought it would actually we thought it was almost pure novelty we thought that it might the the traffic on a you know the on the shake would die down after a user after a user's first month with us we thought they'd stop using it but it actually it, it held up surprisingly well. It's like even long after it was, as we, after we moved to more of a, originally when you turn on the app, the first thing you saw was a slot machine. Eventually we moved into a more of a browse experience, figuring that you might want to search for a restaurant. You might want to look for nearby things as a list as opposed to a random. Um, anyway, but it, it, it definitely was a novelty. It definitely was a brand that people could associate with, a, you know, an, an iconic thing. Uh, we did end up uh, patenting it. Uh, I forget how broad we ended up getting that, but we, we we tried to we didn't want uh somebody else coming up with the exact same uh interface to dilute us. But it was uh it 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 worked pretty well and I think it expressed sort of what, what we thought we did well, which is we were good we were very good, we were we were everywhere in the US by that point. We uh we knew it was good and we tended to suggest uh interesting options and not just the uh that one place that everybody already knows about in town. Yeah, and we I tried to wait in recency.
1: I think the UX was maybe even part of the reason why Apple uh, kind of decided to do a commercial with you guys, because Urban Spoon really demonstrated the novel things that an iPhone could do, like the accelerometer yeah. and, and, and all these things. Um, I had a guest a couple of episodes ago on, on, the, on the podcast. Um, there's a founder, Sean Burns. He founded a company called Flurry, and mm-hmm. he was at a similar kind of timing as, as you guys. Uh, he also uh, caught the, the paradigm shift of mobile, and they launched like very... Right right around the time when Steve Jobs announced the iPhone, and what what, what they were doing is is essentially Google Analytics, but for mobile apps. Uh, And an interesting thing that he mentioned on the podcast is that when you are in this, uh, in the middle of a paradigm shift, so when you're in this hyper growth market, it's very difficult to know if you're growing because you're sort of riding this wave of the market exploding or because you've truly built a great product. Uh, Have you guys had these sort of doubts or these sort of issues about, you know, are we just, uh, do people actually, did we build something that people that, that people like, or is just the, this whole mobile thing is exploding or, yeah. and we're riding along with it?
0: Um, I think we very explicitly were trying to ride a wave. I mean, especially after we saw the Facebook thing, we saw that the way for a small company to get noticed, and getting noticed is half the battle. You just need to be somewhere interesting. I mean, you need to deliver a product that succeeds once people notice it, but the big, the, the big first hurdle is just having people even know you exist. Um, so as a small company with no marketing budget, we were actively looking for waves we could try to try to ride. So uh, I I think that the fact that we, I guess we knew to look for it, but we were lucky that our timing allied of when we had a product that was good enough, we had the idea to get on the wave and uh, we happened to catch it. So I think it's sort of a little bit luck and a little bit instinct and that... uh,
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, catching the wave obviously worked out very well for you guys. The company was acquired uh, just a year after uh, the the App Store launch, so in 2009, Uh uh, by an internet holding company called IAC. Mm -hmm. uh, For those that are not familiar, uh, they are also owners of uh, lots of huge websites and apps like Tinder and um, a lot of dating apps. And then there was another acquisition in 2015 by a Indian Yelp competitor, Called Zomaro. Uh, how did the acquisition of the first acquisition of IAC happen? Uh, how did you guys get in contact with them? Can you can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, um, our primary point of contact with IAC was uh, through, through City Search. So uh, when we started Urban Spoon, they were the big competitor. They were the big uh, the big dog in the restaurant uh, web directory space. And again, Yelp was just coming on the scene. Uh, by the time by the summer of two thousand eight, we uh, Right, right around the time that the, uh, the App Store was launching, we we started using the City grid network. I forget what they call it exactly, at the time. but it was a basically they sold ads to business owners in order to get message from an owner with some custom links uh, embedded in all directory listings and to try to drive more traffic to them. Anyway, so we uh, we did an ad where we got this content from them. We embedded it in our restaurant listings. And all of a sudden, any page that had one of those was monetizing way better than our ad networks. So from our side, this is the best thing ever. So we tried to integrate it as much as we could. And it was also, it was a summer that Urban Spoon was getting really good press. And uh, we were then the, this new, shiny, interesting way to find restaurant guides, or restaurant. And uh, they, 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 so all of a sudden, their salespeople were saying, and if you buy this ad from us, you'll show up on Urban Spoon. Uh, and that that was resonating with their customers because we were we were the new interesting thing. so anyway, we were they were very interesting to us because they were our our new big source of revenue, and we were interesting to them because we were selling well for them. So uh, over the late in the summer, they started fishing around, so trying to figure out who we were and what our story was, and if we were would take strategic investment. And we kind of said, no, we don't want strategic investment. Um, they eventually expressed an interest in pursuing a an M and A, uh, and we'd actually had a couple people pursue us already, and we we that had sort of wasted a lot of time and not been fruitful. So we were a little jaded almost at <laughs> this time. So we were like, if you're if you're serious about this, we'd love to do it, but we don't have time to, to go take a lot of meetings before we make this happen. So if you want to do this, let's figure out how to do it on a fast track to figure out if we're going to get there. Um, and they they accommodate. We ended up. Uh, I remember there. It sort of the big negotiation happened over a a rare December snowstorm in Seattle where we had to sort of a uh, somehow get to the airport on icy streets and uh, fly down to sunny LA to do the final negotiation and uh not long after uh uh we closed and it uh they they ran us after post acquisition, they they didn't want they they saw that we were a very different kind of thing. At that point City Search was in the order of hundreds of people with a big sales force and so they didn't want to mess with what we what was working with us. So they kind of let us kind of keep doing our thing. And uh, so we stayed up here in Seattle. We ran Urban Spoon fairly independently. So post-acquisition, the day-to-day life didn't feel that different. So it was uh, relative to other acquisitions I've been a part of. It was, it was one of the, the more enjoyable in the sense that you don't... Because sometimes they buy, you might get acquired with a very specific intent. We want to apply you to this problem we've already got. Go solve it, as opposed to keep doing what you're doing. That's great. Um, and those are always, I think, the more, <laughs> the more successful uh, acquisitions, in my opinion.
1: Um, You you mentioned that you you were a part of a couple of acquisitions at that point. uh, And you were, if I'm not mistaken, it was two companies that you were were an an engineer at. One of them was Starwave. Uh, Paul Allen's company is a co-founder of Microsoft. And uh, I believe you you, you actually contributed to the very early version of ESPN.com. So Starwave got bought by Disney. And then you were also a part of a company called Avogadro, uh, which was bought by um, Open by a larger company as well. So w- w- yeah. what was the, uh, how was it like being an, impo- or I guess, how was it, you, you saw the acquisition from an employee's perspective. Did that in any way uh, help you or influence the acquisition uh, of Urban Spoon where you were at that point a founder, not an employee?
0: Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, the the first one, Starweave and been- to Disney was one of the more convoluted ones. It went through like five iterations of acquisition with InfoSeek being involved and tracking stocks, and it was a bit of a mess. But uh, as far as the, it, it definitely felt like one where I th- it was the late 90s when Disney wanted to, they, they, they saw Yahoo was a big success and they wanted a portal and they thought, we've got all these properties. And they tried to find a way to put them together to launch a portal competitive to Yahoo. And they were trying to chase something without really, I don't know, as opposed to Leveraging the real assets they had, which were big brands like ESPN. Anyway, it it felt like they were chasing something without without a good plan of how to achieve that. Um, And uh, I'm trying to, I don't know. In in both that one and and OpenWave, it felt like post-acquisition you were tackling a new problem. Mm -hmm. They 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 like the thing you're doing, but here's a big problem we've got. We acquired you to come help us solve this other thing, and. Whether, however well that worked, it just it felt like a big culture shift, definitely going to a big company, a big strategic shift, this pro- problem you've been trying to solve every day. All of a sudden, you're off on something fairly different. Um, anyway, uh, so I think that's what, that's what made the, uh, the Urban Spoon acquisition uh, feel right in, in comparison.
1: And the acquisition of Urban Spoon, the first one, was 2009, uh, while the big... Um w well, the, the company really took off in 2008 so it was only kind of a year apart at that time like you mentioned you guys were this this shiny new company and uh was at that at that time in 2009 was there ever a desire to kind of not sell and uh wait let's say a year wait two years let's see where the company's going to go because you know at that time you guys were 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 exploding um
0: yeah uh, yeah i mean it's uh i mean at the time, there was a little bit of debate, but uh, it was it, they they made a good offer. If you remember what the economy was like in late two thousand eight, early two thousand nine, it was it was hard times. I mean, there was uh, the financial crisis. It was uh, the fact that somebody was at the door making a good offer, and there's always a fear. Uh, you know, we we were we were still riding this wave from Apple. We were still getting a lot of our traffic through SEO and both of those feel like they are uh, they are risky sources of traffic they 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 could go away in the coming year um, so it was it felt like a high risk situation and somebody showed up and made a a pretty decent offer so <clears throat> while we i think in retrospect we think oh my god it would have been worth way more if we would have uh, <laughs> if we would have just uh, stayed independent a little longer uh we're it's it, it, it it's funny cuz with our new source of revenue from city search with this new influx of traffic from the app store and the apple promotion we uh we had finally turned a corner where we could. We probably were making enough money that we could pay ourselves our, you know, our previous market salary. And you know, we weren't quite swimming in it, but it was, we, we had turned the corner. So all of a sudden, when, when you, it's, it's when you don't need that acquisition as much, that's all of a sudden when everybody gets more interested.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, in any sort of big event, there's always kind of a what if uh, somewhere in the back of your head. But uh, you, know, yeah. you, you guys were- At the, distra- at the time-
0: yeah, at the time it was kind of sad to let it go, but I don't, I don't think we were particularly close to saying, no, let's go two more years of, uh, of just staying it independent. It, it, so, well, I I think it's mostly a retrospective thing at this point. It's more like, yeah, it's if if we hadn't done that, and maybe all the growth that came after that, because we continue to grow and very nicely after the acquisition. Um, I don't know, even 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 after that, it, it, it's. It's hard not to go back and look and say, would we have grown just as much and just as successfully even if we hadn't uh, hadn't uh, done the acquisition and had a big company behind us after that point?
1: Yeah, and I think I mean you, you were bootstrapped at that point, so you know I, I would imagine it was a, especially in the times of like 2009, right around the recession, and all that it was a it was a good deal overall, and it has worked out pretty well for you. After Urban Spoon, you have uh, helped to get Code.org off the ground, which is an organization that helps. Uh, kids and underrepresented minorities uh, become engineers. Uh, you also co-founded a company called Mighty AI, uh, mm-hmm. which was just very recently last year acquired by Uber. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are now involved with your most recent company, which is called Fresh Chalk. Uh, what is Fresh Chalk? How did you get involved with it?
0: Uh, Fresh Chalk is a, it's a website. Uh, it is, uh, it's, it's intended to help people solve the problem of when you need a... A plumber, or a massage therapist, or really any professional. Um, our theory was it's always best to get that that find that person through a friend. So uh, the goal of the site is to come in and create a share your recommendations of who you use and like. Whether you want to write text about it or just sort of list who who's good and that you like, and connect to a handful of friends. And uh, all of a sudden, you've got this uh, expanded rolodex of all the professionals so next time you need a locksmith late at night uh rather than going to the yellow pages or searching google you can just uh go to fresh chalk and it will say it will show you three of your friends who have recommended a locksmith and there are certain sort of high transaction items or trust based relationships like maybe a house cleaner coming into your house you feel a lot better knowing that using somebody who's worked for a friend for many years um anyway so the premise of fresh chalk is just uh a directory, a trust-based directory of professionals, uh, and uh, anyway, so I've, we've been working on that about a year. Uh, we've launched in a few metros, though mostly focused on Seattle right now. Um, we have, we have California covered as well, though it's uh, we're, we're not focusing our marketing efforts there uh, We raised uh, a seed round a couple months ago, so we've just started uh, adding a few employees. So we bootstrapped the first year uh, based on our urban. And uh, so we realized that this was a business that uh, probably would need uh, some more. We, we need some more, uh, more people to help us uh, get to the next level. So uh, we, we raised a little money and uh, we're now uh, adding features. And uh, we'll probably have a, an iPhone app and an Android app for it before too long. But uh, it's. Uh
1: I, I find the, there's, there's a bunch of similarities between Urban Spoon and, and Fresh Truck. Uh, like you mentioned, you know the, the first year is bootstrapped. So that's one. Uh, I think there's to some degree a similar. Uh, founding team. So your your co-founder from, from Urban Spoon also joined Fresh Chalk. Uh, both companies are recommendation focused, right? So they're focused on this sort of yeah. trust-driven recommendation uh, kind of machine for finding new things. In the case of uh, Urban Spoon, it was restaurants. Fresh Chalk, it's uh, professional services. Uh, there's also the simplicity of like and dislike. There's no kind of writing a long review and having to read that and giving five stars or four stars or whatever. It's very simple. It's either you like or you dislike or you recommend or you don't recommend. Um, there's also an aggregation of different data sources. So uh, it seems like this model has worked for restaurants with Urban Spoon. Uh, now you're trying this out with professional services. Do you think this this model is applicable to other areas as well? Do you think this is sort of a, um, this kind of a complex stack that is required to make recommendations work for for x you know for for whatever the area might be
0: yeah um it's funny cuz as we as a lot of people have used it one of the most consistent pieces of feedback we've gotten from people who've embraced it is hey now th- this is great now can you do it for travel destinations or can you do this for restaurants <laughs> and uh, so uh there's there's a lot of people trying to push the edges uh and and we to some degree we will follow the market but for now we're trying to stay focused on you know just you know health Beauty, home—sort of the 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 sort of sphere of local professionals that you use for for tasks. Um, and actually, yeah, w- one thing you mentioned is we what, we are trying to focus on the positive. We're trying to focus on recommendations. So you, the the goal is that as you put people in, you should be putting in people that you've used before, that you would totally use again, or mention to a friend if they told you they were looking for one of that that category of professional. Right. Um, so we're so we're trying to stay positive. Um, and, uh,
1: where, uh, so, so the, the smartphone paradigm shift allowed urban spoon to get off the ground and, and it allowed many possibilities that were not possible with just web. Uh, what do you think the next big paradigm shift that's, uh, that, that we can expect?
0: Um, I know it's, it it's a like, hard question to answer. Yeah, <laughs> no, it seems like the dominant theory for the last 15 years or so is VR is going to be the next big thing, but it's, it continues to not quite get to mass market. Uh, Within our world, uh, of this, like the, the nuts and bolts utility of things like uh, directories. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, th- I like to think it's finding a way to make it more personal. I think people have lost confidence in the, the, the aggregate wisdom of the masses because they've realized that the, those five-star reviews on, on the big directory sites can be manipulated. And there are frequently stories about them being manipulated. Even if those stories are overblown sometimes, I think that there is a a, a real consumer distrust of those now. Um, so I think uh, I like to think that it's finding a way to get a real trust, a way to generate trust. I mean, like next door, I mean, I think their success comes from the idea that maybe you trust a neighbor that even if you haven't met them, just knowing they're from your neighborhood, you might trust them a little more than somebody you don't know. Or <laughs> short of a and so our 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 theory is to maybe you'll trust a family member, friend, coworker, neighbor neighbor, there are a lot of circles of trust. And as long as a recommendation is coming from one of those circles, I, th- I think it will, it, will, it will give you the confidence you need to, uh, to, to make that bind. Um, I realize that that's a little self-serving to say that the next big thing is what we're doing, but uh, <laughs> I, that, that's the thing we've been focusing on, is uh, that, that we, that's what got us excited about this. We think there's a real opening in, in, that, in that area.
1: And I, I think this is, um, it's, it's, it helps with the issue of hype. Uh, I think that if, it's, especially if, you, if we take restaurants, for example, there's, uh, if, you find, if you go on Yelp and you find like a really highly rated restaurant, and mm-hmm. this is especially true for the expensive ones, uh, people tend to, when they go there, even if the food, let's say, or the experience wasn't that great, uh, they tend to kind of justify this, uh, uh, especially if they paid a lot of money for it, that, you know, it, it, w- it was better than it actually was. Uh, so I think hype kind of plays a, a big part in not only restaurants but in, um, in, in in many things. So I think if you if you guys are focusing on this sort of trusted circle, the closer the person is to you, uh, the, uh, the probably the the, the, the the more confident you could be in their opinion. I think that in in some way kind of solves for this this hype issue.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I think there are certain again I, I mentioned a couple before, but I think there are certain types of professionals you might need where getting trust or knowing the person even like so an interior designer if you were looking for somebody to help uh, you know that where their aesthetic matched what you wanted to do just knowing which of your friends let's say there are five recommendations from your friends it'd be it's nice to be able to sort of figure out which of those friends probably has the same aesthetic as me or is the closest to mine so that whoever they like is probably going to be a good fit for me or you know or has the same price point as me whatever it is and it's a uh, Anyway, so that, that we, we think that those categories are going to be the ones where it, it, people are very eager to find uh, something through a channel like this.
1: And how can work, where, where can people sign up for fresh chalk? How can they find it?
0: Uh, well, freshchalk.com. Uh again, the, the best experience right now is in, is in Seattle, but uh, we we've also launched in several other cities, including uh, where we are in the Bay area though. And in Los Angeles, so lightly traffic there. Uh, we're in uh, Austin and a, uh, if you go to FreshShock.com, it'll show you a list of the cities where we, we have. Uh, when we launch in a city, that means we have sort of crawled all the local businesses and we have a decent data set ready to go. That said, you can, launch, you can give it a try from wherever you are. Uh, it's just the, for example, the autocomplete when you're recommending your doctor may not work that well, but you can go ahead and recommend your doctor and build that list and connect to your friends. Um, and our, our our promise is, if we notice people doing that in an area, we will come add uh, add data for your area as quickly as we can.
1: Patrick, we wish you all the best with Fresh Truck, uh with expansion in the states, and uh, hoping that it's as big of a success as your previous two companies, Orbispoon and Mighty AI. And uh, if you if you exit FreshTalk, then we'll love to have you back on the show. Thanks a lot.
0: <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and share it with your friends. Also tag a founder you'd like to see on the show. This podcast is brought to you by Startup Soft. To learn more, visit StartupSoft.org.